Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, we'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and we'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can have either your entire organization take the program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Well, if you are serving anywhere in the HR industry, you probably know that this is a really, really tough time for talent acquisition. For the first time, at least in my memory, candidates have the upper hand. Now, I don't know how long that will last, and we'll date the podcast by saying we're at the beginning of October 2022, but over the past couple of years, we've seen everything sort of shift in favor of candidates. The challenge, of course, is that if your organization is seeking talent, you got a pretty tough time. Our guest today is Thad Price. Now, Thad is an expert in using marketing and sales techniques to help recruit talent. He shares a little state of the industry with us and then talks about some of the things that he would suggest to help you transform the way that you acquire talent in this very challenging market. We'll let him tell the story so you know what time it is. Time for you to take that personal item and tuck it under the seat in front of you. Make sure that seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Matt Price, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you here today. The topic we're going to be looking at, I think, is going to be really important to the audience because we're talking about talent acquisition. And right now, and you know this better than I do, and I know it somewhat well, uh, we are in a war for talent. Now, war for talents have been around for a long time, but rarely is the candidate the one in the driver's seat. It seems like that's kind of where we're at today. And because companies are struggling to hire it's definitely something we need to address. And I know that you've got some great information to share with us. So before we get into these questions, I was hoping you can tell us about yourself. Tell us about your journey and what you're working on today. Yeah, happy to do it. Well, thank you again for being here and you know, happy to share my journey. So, you know, I've been in the talent acquisition industry for almost 20 years in employment marketplaces and seen a lot of the seen a lot of the change over the last 20 years, started in customer service, then in operations, then in product, and of course now leading Tao Ru as the, what I like to refer to as the chief evangelist officer, and ensuring that we're aligning the business and we're building products that companies need to find the right candidates they need to fill their candidate pipelines. And you know the change, well, a lot of the, a lot of the lessons that can be learned from you know adapting to the change in the way in which companies find talent, 
we can see from consumer advertising. And I know that's one of the things we're really going to spend a lot of time talking about today is, you know, what we've seen from consumer advertising and marketing and how we can apply that to more talent acquisition marketing and apply the strategies for winning success and, and helping companies build the pipelines they need to win hires. So it almost sounds like we're going to move away from basically trying to go out and find candidates and rather than that, make such an attractive proposition that the candidates come to us. That's kind of how I understood it. Am I off on that or is that correct? No, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, I think when we when we think of customer acquisition, there are a lot of things around customer acquisition that's very similar to talent acquisition or candidate acquisition. And there are a lot of ways in which we can use technology in to reach the right audiences. But it first starts with a strategy and it starts starts first with really thinking about the entire experience um, with a hiring manager and the candidate. And so, you know, over the last 20 years, um, you know, 20 years ago, let's go back probably many, many years ago, it started with the newspapers, right? When you were looking to actually hire someone, you would, you would basically open an ad in the newspaper and, and folks would apply and fax their resume. Um, <laughs> you know, then you would, then, you know, if you, if you think about 20 years ago, you, started seeing online job boards exist like monster and career builder partnering mm -hmm. with some of the leading destinations and some of the leading newspapers and so that was you know that was this whole idea in the industry called you know post and pray i post a job and i pray that i get the right candidates i need to hire and so then then this movement happened where job searching should you know looked a lot more like a search engine like google and mm -hmm. so indeed was the was the um real provider of the, you know, all jobs, one place type uh, experience for job seekers and did a fantastic job of executing the strategy around more of a Google like experience for jobs and create a great business. Um, and now what we're seeing is th there's still this movement happening that's moved in consumer advertising where it's about about audiences. Right. And so in consumer advertising, you know, there's still great destinations where where companies advertise to reach their targeted audience. Um, but there's also this movement called programmatic advertising, you know, that's been happening over the last, I would say, probably 10 to 12 years in consumer advertising. And it's how do we use data to be able to find the right consumer at the right time at the right place? And so what happens in that? scenario is, you know, Ford says, hey, I want to find people in market to buy a car or to buy a truck. Can you target folks in market to buy a car or a truck with a Ford F-150 or a Mustang ad? Mm -hmm. And so what then happens is Ford then targets, you know, their ads to folks that are looking to buy a car. And so in, in job advertising, we like to think of the idea of talent audiences. And so with talent audiences, it's about how do we help you connect with uh, the audience looking for a warehouse job or the audience looking for a sales job? And so this is the movement that we, we've been seeing in the, in the job advertising space and the um, talent acquisition space. And that provides a lot of scale and automation to talent acquisition teams instead of focusing on this idea of post and pray of, hey, I'm going to you know post a job and pray I get candidates, it's really about post and produce. I want candidates in my applicant tracking system and I want to nurture them and I want to fill my funnel and build my pipeline so I can convert those um, 
you know, those candidates into hires, just as in marketing, we convert those prospects into sales and customers. So this is the, this, this is the movement that's been happening in the industry and we're excited to be a part of it. So that you were saying that how many years has this been going on now that it's moved to this where we're kind of reversing it? Yeah, I would say probably, um, you know, probably the last 10, 12 years, uh, when you think about programmatic, you know, consumer advertising, it's probably a, a good way to think about that. Um, in job advertising, it's been a movement over the last few years. Um, and we're starting to see it more and more. There's still a huge amount of activity um, that hasn't moved in this direction. But in consumer advertising, it moved pretty quickly because it was more data driven. It wasn't, you know, about having the uh, connection of, I think my audience is on, you know, Yahoo. So I want to advertise on Yahoo. This was, hey, here, I have all this access to audience data. And I know my target audience is, is, is um, interacting on these places. And so, you know, your job as a technology provider should be able to find those audiences. And so that's the movement that we've been seeing in bringing this kind of marketing approach to talent acquisition. And it's, and this is just one strategy of many ways in which, um, you know, many ways in which employers are really redefining and reexamining their talent acquisition strategy. Yeah. So, you know, you've been at this for a while. And so the only frame of reference I have for a really tough time was during the Great Recession of 08 and 09. And that was opposite, where job seekers had basically, they were at the mercy of employers who, you know, if they had any jobs, you know, they would take forever. Nobody would answer the candidate back. And now it's flipped around. And I don't know if anybody who's searching for work today was part of that movement. Because I will admit, having done outplacement work then, that companies treated the people they were letting go horribly. I mean, sometimes it wasn't even noticed. You'd get into your office in the morning and try to log into your computer and like, oh, my password doesn't work. Let me call IT. And they're like, oh, you didn't hear. I mean, or you'd walk into your office and there was a big white box, like fill it up and get the hell out. You know, it's so <laughs> I can totally see how somebody who experienced that would be like, oh, now I finally got the power. So guess what? I'm going to get all the way through it and let you make me an offer. And then I'm going to ghost you just to pay you back for what somebody did 15 years ago. So, you know, so you got a great technology here. How, how can employers sort of undo this damage that, and that's my opinion, that some of it is revenge, but, and most of it is horrible behavior. I mean, you ghost somebody, that's bad any context, but how does the, that impact, you know, a better process of attracting candidates? Yeah, I think it's a customer service experience. I, have, I think you have to take this entire journey of a candidate and dissected it every step of the way. And, you know, a great example is um, when we talk about candidate ghosting and we talk about connect rates. So, you know, in, in inside sales, if you're not connecting with a lead within, you know, let's say an hour, you know, you're losing that customer potentially. You know, if someone goes and fills out a form for a demo and you're not you're not reaching out within there's there's definitely like this this um, this impact if you aren't immediately, you know, connecting with that lead because you're they've moved to your competitor. Right. And the, the first, the first one that connects and many chance and many chances increases the probability of actually closing that deal. And so that's the same, that's the, that's a similar experience now with candidates, right? Candidates are applying to many jobs. And if the candidate is applying and, you know, you're not connecting and you're not reaching them quickly, you know, they've moved on to another opportunity. 
So, the, you know, the first conversation, the first thing I think we have to look at is we have to look at the experience. It's not just, you know, a, a single, um, it's just not a single point experience. It's the journey that it occurs, you know, with candidates and the connection that occurs. And a lot of businesses, you know, I would say that, you know, in the last few years, you know, businesses are starting to take a hard look at that experience to treat, you know, candidates and recruiting more like candidates, more like consumers and recruiting more like sales. And I think that's the big movement that we've been seeing is, you know, recruiting is a contact sport. Sales is a contact sport. You need to be always recruiting. You need to be always selling and connecting. And I think focusing that and and honing um, that ability is really important, but it starts looking at the entire process. So when you think of, when you think of like when you start hiring and you you know you you start recruiting for certain roles, you know one thing we can learn from marketing is it all starts with you know this this term of of ICP, which is the ideal customer persona. I like to think that we can apply that to to recruitment marketing when you're looking to hire someone, the ideal candidate persona, right? What candidate will be successful for this role? How do we find this candidate? Because so much of recruiting. You know, when you read job descriptions and everything that's you know used to attract talent, it's always about the minimum. Have you ever noticed that? It's like the minimum yes, qualifications. Minimum requirements. Yeah. Minimum. Yeah. Minimum requ- Why would you want to hire anyone with the minimum? You want, you want, you know, a plus talent. You want the best talent out there to help move your business forward. But so much of this is about minimum. Well, let's not think about minimum. Let's think about who you really want to hire. And so that's why I encourage hiring teams to think of this you know, think of this idea of your ideal candidate persona. And then from a recruitment marketing perspective, your job should be to help, you know, that hiring manager find that ideal candidate persona um, in some of your recruitment marketing initiatives. So again, I think a lot of it is this idea of marketing and sales. So many of the principles of marketing and sales we can apply to recruiting and we can apply to talent acquisition. And that's why I think it's such an interesting time for our industry, because as you mentioned, there's a shift that occurred, right? Because now the candidate is in control, you know, there's more opportunities and, you know, they can, they have uh, the power in the equation. And so now, now as an industry, we need to get back to the basics and it all starts with service. In many cases, all the answers to great business all starts with customer service. And I think that's what it's all about. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, if this is going to be the norm, then being a candidate should be a pretty pleasant experience, unlike what we may have experienced before, where, you know, you're just seem like you're, you know, sending emails into oblivion and nobody returns calls. It sounds like, wow, it might be completely reversed, which I guess if you're a skilled candidate, you know, this is a good time for you. But let's let's focus on today. So right now, we'll date the podcast. We are in the early weeks of August 2022. There are rumors of recession. You know, inflation is going crazy right now. And the market seems to be sort of still really strong if you're a skilled candidate looking. But as things shift and transition, it seems like, yeah. you know, do we just let our guard down or do we still want to go ahead and use this new customer-centric approach? After all, if there's a recession, there'll be more than enough qualified candidates waiting outside our door. Well, you know, I think that, you know, in a good economy and a bad economy, let's call it, um, great 
candidates are still hard to find. You know, great hires are still hard to find. So I think, you know, when we think about the, the, the long-term approach of a candidate-centric approach and candidate experience-focused approach, I think the big thing we have to think about is this isn't always going to be the way, right? And, mm-hmm. and we need to start putting the um, process in place to ensure we're focused on service and focused on great candidates. Um, you know, branding is so important in how we think about the experience with candidates, how we think about the, um, you know, how candidates and, and employers interact. Um, candidates want to work for companies they like. Um, they want to connect with companies they like, and that sets an example. And there have been many studies showing that, you know, the experience, the uh, apply experience impacts whether a candidate wants to actually do business <laughs> with, 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 an, with a business uh, in the past as well. So, you know, we've seen this time and time again. So I always think of, you know, your candidates are your consumers. So if you create a bad candidate experience, you're also creating a bad consumer experience. A great example is, you know, my kids, um, my kids absolutely love Target. And I mm-hmm. firmly believe at some point, I have a seven and an eight year old, but I firmly believe when, when they're looking for their summer job, they're going to apply to Target. It's because they love Target. They love the experience of Target. They love, you know, the stores. And so imagine all of a sudden you develop this connection with, with a business like Target, and then you go through this experience that's just terrible. That, that's going to impact, you know, that's going to impact the experience as a consumer, not only an experience as a candidate. And so I think all of this is this idea of focusing on a service candidate experience centric approach, I think is really important. And, and the, and it may change, right? We may see that businesses, I hope not, right? We may see that businesses um, exhibit some of the behavior that we've seen in the past, but I don't think so given how talent and how recruiting has been a top discussion in every board meeting across the world in the last two years. Well, that makes sense. You know, as you were talking about Target, I thought, you know, what are a list of places I would never want to work? And like one would be the DMV because I have never <laughs> gone there and had a pleasant experience. Or, yeah, like, like, oh, I, I, who, where do you work? I work for the IRS. Like, oh, wow, how nice. You know, so, I mean, I think certain you, you got to be a special person to go to a place that probably has a harsh reputation. Uh, and I don't know whether that could ever be repaired. Target, you could, uh, some companies, but uh, the IRS and the DMV, I don't know. I think they, I don't know if they'd even benefit from your services, Thad, but boy, if you could crack <laughs> that nut, that'd be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be. It would be. Sounds like a great consulting opportunity. Uh, yeah, well, more power to you. Count me out <laughs> of that one. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about cost now. So let's say I've got to hire a candidate, right? I had some, my, maybe my director of marketing has moved on. They, they leave to go find themselves, like the commercial on TV says. Uh, so, you know, so what is it going to cost me now to find not just a warm body, but like somebody who can really add some value? What is it looking like these days? Well, you know what we we spend a lot of our time on essential workers, and you know we've seen that um, you know roughly, you know a recent report that we released is to hire an essential worker is roughly about six hundred and seventy dollars, uh, you know per hire. 
Um, on the on the professional area, it is, of course, a lot higher. And from a director of marketing perspective, you're probably going to engage with a recruiting firm. And that recruiting firm is probably going to help uh, provide candidates, a short list of candidates, and then you, you'll interview those candidates. Um, but, you know, we spend, again, we spend all of our energy on essential workers specifically. Um, you know, it's it's become hard. I think there are more there are more options for candidates than we've seen in uh, many recent years, of course, or ever. And um, you know, because of that, they have the power of choice, mm -hmm. and even more so, more opportunities to generate um, even more opportunities to generate income than we've ever experienced. You know, I think you know, as an industry, we've seen you know the rise of app-based employment like you know doordash and uber and lyft and and others and so when you think about when you think about this what i like to refer to as the clearing opportunity and what i mean by clearing opportunity it's you know what does a company have what are the benefits what's the true opportunity with a business and then what's the, and pay as a piece of that and what what needs to happen in order to win talent and the reason why i say that is if you think of a company uh, if you think of app-based employment, um, and that's mostly gig, it's very transactional. It's, you know, I'm driving this person to this location. I'm, I'm delivering this product to this location and I'm going to, I'm going to make, you know, some fee, $20, $15, $30, $40, whatever that may be very transactional. But at, what's happening is the, the worker is in their mind, they're basically saying, okay, what is my what is my real, what is my hourly rate that I'm generating? Right. And so, you know, you generate, you know, you generate a thousand dollars a week and then you look at your hours and how many hours you work and you're like, okay, well, this is, this is what my, this is what essentially my average hourly rate is. Mm -hmm. And so what's happened is, especially with essential workers, there's this entire economy that's been created and that actually uh, was, um, you know, uh, enlarged because of delivery services and everything, you know, uh, a few years ago. And now there's this opportunity to generate income outside of traditional employment where you can work when you want to work. Mm -hmm. And so that's really challenging for essential workers, essential worker hiring. It's great for essential workers because you get the power of choice, but it's challenging for essential worker hiring because now this, this calculus is happening around you know, what do I want? Do I want flexibility? Do I want to work when I want to work? Do I want to, you know, where do I, where do I go from here? And what are the opportunities in the industry? And so where I'm going with this is what I share with businesses is it really is all about showcasing how you can grow within a business, where your career can, you know, where your career can go and grow because you are competing with this, entirely different economy that didn't exist, you know, a number of years ago for these workers, that's giving them flexibility, that's giving them the ability to work when they want to work. But, but as a, but as an employer, um, you have the, the power to be able to showcase what the true opportunity is for that candidate at your business, you know, tell the stories, right? You started as a cashier and moved to a manager, then moved to a regional manager. Showcase these stories, and that's what that's what 
employer branding is all about and telling the story of how people can grow within an organization. And that doesn't happen in transactional app-based businesses, right? You're, you're getting paid just to do something. So, you know, that's how I would think about it. And I would think that that's really been a huge um, way to, because right now, I mean, it's just been tough because businesses need to hire people, but they need to align around, you know, this, the future and what that company can provide as an opportunity directly to the candidate. Well, I think now the flexibility is really what's so popular now. And maybe COVID kind of did that. I mean, mm -hmm. it was shocking at first and then suddenly, wow, so I could really work virtual and not have to go to an office, you know, gave you that like, okay, I don't have to be on the freeway every morning sitting in traffic. I can do this. But also I think with the gig economy, it's almost the sense of I have my own business now, but like right. anybody who's ever started a business, it's not very long. So you realize this is a lot more work than I thought. And I'd love the fact you said, take your thousand a week and do the math and see just how much you're making an hour. It's a lot less than you think. And it's a lot more work. But are you willing to trade that flexibility to essentially right. go put on somebody's leash and say, OK, now I work for this company and now they sort of tell me what to do and when. So it seems like companies are going to have to ease into that. but. You know, I'm wondering too, like three or four years from now, is this still going to be it? Or will we get back to that normal grind before COVID? I mean, yeah, we had people who were stepping out into Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and Instacart and all those things. But now it's almost like, hey, I'm going to have, like I see, you know, Lyft and Uber that people have both, right? Today I feel mm -hmm. like doing Lyft and they flip the, the Lyft light on and whatever. So, I mean, do you see where this gig economy might slow down in the future and then, you know, give a little bit more power to employers? Well, um, yes, I, I do see that. However, I don't think it's I, I see that it will slow down, but I don't think it's going away. That's for sure. I think we'll only see more um, more of these marketplaces exist. And we're starting to see more of these marketplaces exist in professional environments. Um, you know, than we've seen in the past, uh, which is really interesting too. Um, there are a number of these that have, that have cropped up over the last, last few years. So I definitely think it's a huge movement. Um, when we think about, when I said earlier about the clearing opportunity, you know, we talk a lot about the clearing wage mm -hmm. and, you know, what it, what it takes to actually, what you have to pay someone in order to, you know, get them moving and, and win the talent. And that's why I said that it's really this clearing opportunity and the clearing opportunity is all of these things that a company can provide to a candidate and to talent. And I think that folks are looking at this because of, you know, because of everything that we've seen over the last few years, because of flexibility, the need of flexibility, people are looking at what it means to work for a company in a package. And that's why I like to focus on opportunity. Pay is one of that benefits, of course, Flexibility is big. When we surveyed our when we surveyed um, our our talent pool uh, that we have access to, of course, at Tauru, we found that you know very close to wage um, was flexibility, like very close. And I and we had surveyed job seekers, you know, many years uh, before, and we hadn't seen flexibility be so close to wage. And so you know that's a big piece of it. And so I think people are thinking about it of you know, hey, I can make. I can make, you know, $16 an hour or $18 an hour and have flexibility, or I can make $20 an hour and not have flexibility. 
And I think people are, I think, I, again, I think they're doing that calculus and it means different. It means, uh, it means uh, it's different for everyone, right? Everyone has a different value on flexibility, a different value on benefits, a different value on pay. And I think that's the, that's the big thing that's probably changed over the last few years. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to get, I think it's, I think it will get, um, I think what's happened is employers are realizing they need to be more competitive. It's not all about pay. And I think they're also being more transparent. You know, we, we found that, you know, that candidates and job seekers, of course, um, were 78% more likely to apply for a job with salary transparency than a job that, you know, lacked transparency. And, and so I think as employers are trying to, really tell the story of what it's like to work for a company, I think that will, I think that will actually help, um, help job seekers form more of this, uh, a clearer picture around the clearing opportunity and what it means to work and kind of make the decision based on all these factors. And so that's why I always, I always share with customers that you have to be transparent in as much as you can because they're going to find out some way. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you yeah. might as well control the narrative and you might as be, you might as well be open and honest. And I had a um, interview with a HR candidate um, um, last week and, you know, she said something that really struck me and she said, you know, I believe retention starts with the job ad. And I said, talk to me a little bit about that. She goes, well, you have to be realistic of, in the job ad of what a day looks like in that position. And if you aren't realistic and on the other side, if you're being very, um, you know, if you're, if you're um, not as open with what, you know, a day in the life of that position looks like, then you're going to have a retention problem as well. So I think there are a couple of things going on. I think we're just really thinking about how to, you know, focus energy around, you know, connecting the dots for job seekers and being transparent, letting them know what's all about. And when job seekers make that decision to apply for the job, they know what they're getting into and they know what the opportunity looks like for them. Well, that makes total sense to me. I mean, it would almost be like making any other life decision with getting half the facts. And then when you ask like, oh no, we can't tell you. Why, why would a company not be transparent with their salary range? Because that seems to be the norm. It's like, it's almost like when you go to the car lot, right? You're not going to see, you'll see the sticker price, but you know that's not what you're paying. But you don't know what you will pay. And so there's all this secrecy. And maybe some people equate, okay, there's no salary range on this. This reminds me of when I went to buy a car. Back when there actually <laughs> used to be cars on a car lot, right? Back in those days. So, yeah. So what do you, from your experience, what is the reason why people hide that information? You know, I think it's, I think it's just been embedded in, in, the, in the industry for so many years and I think a lot of it is I don't want my I don't want to know what my competitors uh, I don't want my competitors to know how much I'm paying, right? Mm -hmm. To try to to try to win the talent, but you have to assume on the other hand of this, you have to assume that the candidate is interviewing with your competitors. And so one of the other things that I always share with with folks is build battle cards, right? You have to assume mm -hmm. when you're looking to hire someone that you're competing with all the other employers and all of your competitors. And if you don't have a very clear story of why you're better than the other competitors, 
then you're not going to win. You're not going to win the deal. You're not going to win the hire. And I think that that's another really interesting piece. So, you know, so going back to your question, you know, if you think about it, they're like, well, I don't want my competitor to see how much I'm paying because maybe they'll, maybe they'll try to pay more or maybe they'll, maybe I'm paying less. But to me, that's just being, you know, that's being, um, you're not being as strategic as you need to be with your business in order to actually hire people and, and win hires. So, you know, I don't know. I, I would say that, you know, in our business, when we think about sales, we're very transparent with what the ladders are. We're very transparent and say, hey, you sell X amount, you hit quota, this is what your raise looks like, this is what your commission looks like. We're very, we're very transparent. Engineering is a little tough for us because we worry about the competitive nature of, of um, hiring and, and, and things like that with salary. So, you know, I, I would say probably it's the competitive nature, but I think that's all changing. And I think businesses are reevaluating uh, transparency and what it means for salaries and, you know, what it means for candidates. Well, you focused on, you know, the big driver right now is more money and flexibility. Up to this point, everything that I had kind of seen was how do we attract them with perks? And, you know, even I remember years ago, I, I was doing some management training for a pharmaceutical company in Arizona. And, you know, I went in there and they have, of course, the little cafeteria. You can buy your stuff, but like there's free sodas and there's game rooms and meditation rooms. And so I told my son, and who was probably, you know, 13 at the time, and he says, Dad, I would want to work there. I said, well, why? He says, well, they got free soda. Like, that's the best. I said, but what, do you, what, what actually are you going to be doing there, Dustin? Well, I don't know. They'll just hire me. But like for him, like free soda was it. And it sort of opened up the can of worms. You know, people say, I want a Google culture. Let's get a foosball table. Let's, let's have, you know, whatever, whatever. Is that still the hot commodity? Like how many perks and free lunches? Or is this really the era of let's see how much money I can make and how much flexibility I can allow a candidate to have? That is a terrific question. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, I think that it's about flexibility and autonomy and pay. And that's, I think you're right. I think that because we've been all in this boat together, you know, working remotely, um, I think that, you know, I've seen that businesses that have, uh, businesses are having more success recruiting when they're saying, hey, it's a remote first company compared to businesses that are saying, no, you need to be in the office. Mm -hmm. um, so I really think, you know, flexibility, work where you want to work, whatever you want to call it. So I really think, I think you're right. I think, I think the idea of like perks and foosball tables and all of that, I think there are definitely some, there's some key to that, but it's, but, but right now I think it's all about flexibility, autonomy, and how you enable that for your team. Yeah, I agree. Well, I figure if I got time to play foosball at work, I'd rather just go home and you know, <laughs> not, not tack foosball time onto my evening commute, you know, if that's what it's going to look like. So let's let's talk about then, um, like, all right, so we know that you're going to, you know, actively market and promote the company. What about using current employees to kind of help be ambassadors? Is that something that you'd recommend? Absolutely. Absolutely. Referrals will generally be one of your best um, recruiting sources and, you know, find a way to leverage your, your current talent pool 
um, include them in the process, interview them, you know, ask a question that I ask team members is, Hey, why'd you choose us? You know, obviously it's a strong market. Why did you, what brought you to Tauru? Why did you select us? And when you, a lot of candidates will be very honest with their approach and well, it was about the money or it was about the opportunity. I wanted to work with a small team. And, and when you find those answers, you'd go all in on those answers. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about candidate personas, when someone says, Hey, I want to work for a small team, use that in your, in your attraction strategy in writing your job ad. Because if you know, if you're a small company, you can't compete with some of the, you know, some of the enterprise level companies then own it. Hey, you know, I've, all team members here make a difference. We're working in a business that's innovating the way, you know, companies find talent, you know, own that, own that, own that. And, but it all comes from your team members. So I think it's the first is interview them, find your ambassadors, right? Mm-hmm. And then once they share with you why they chose you, because they, you have to assume they have other offers and you also have to assume they're getting called by recruiters daily and they're mm-hmm. getting, you know, connected, um, you know, they're connecting with recruiter, recruiters daily. You have to understand, you know, what the, key is for that candidate joining your organization. Yeah, absolutely. Number one source of hires for recruiting is referrals. Well, I love that. Well, it feeds into the, you know, common assumptions that, you know, the best shot of getting a job is through your network. So who better to network with than somebody you find at a company who's on LinkedIn and they're, you know, hey, what's it like to go work for, you know, Talru or whoever. So it makes sense. So, So we've focused our time talking about attracting talent. But I want to ask you one last question, and that is about retention. And so, yeah, we're putting all this effort on the front end. We're getting the candidate in the door. Um, What happens when they're there and say, oh, this is good, but it's not what I thought. I think I'm going to continue my search somewhere else. What mechanisms are there that we can put into place where a newly hired superstar is going to want to stick around? The first thing you have to do is start a conversation. I think all this starts with a conversation. You know, and, and um, ensuring that there's, you know, throughout the management levels, there's good connection with candidates. You know, what I've seen, especially in a remote oriented environment is, you know, you don't have that, you don't have that, um, you know, that con- connection that occurs when you're in person. So you have to ensure that you are connecting with your people more than you are or more than you were, uh, you know, in an, in an office environment. So, you know, one of the things that, that I try to do with our team members, with our company is every few times a year, I have a one-on-one and, you know, I have a one-on-one with them and they're skip level one-on-ones. And I'm just trying to understand, you know, can I learn more about the individual? Can I find if there are ways that we're living up to the expectations that our company is living up to expectations? And, you know, are there things that we could be doing differently? And I always come away with some really interesting feedback from folks. Some folks, you know, aren't as open with their ideas and some are, and the ones that are, I really, you know, I really embrace and try to find ways in which we can incorporate in, in our strategy and our, our people's strategy and, and, and how we think about things. So it all starts with a conversation. If you are not connecting with dedicated one-on-ones a few times a month with your team members, you need to change that immediately. And you need to change that because they're immediately, they didn't, they, they applied for a job 
and they came to you and they want the job that you provided and that you advertise, but that's not what they want to do 18 months from now. And that's not they, probably what they want to do 12 months from now. And so you need to engage them with what their career path and track looks like. And all of your conversations with them, it needs to be about how am I helping you to get to that next step? What do you need to do to get to that next step? And how do I get you to that next step? They always need to know that you're working with them to get to their, to hit, to attain their career goals. And I think that's really important because what you'll find when folks, when managers and leaders aren't necessarily engaged with the heartbeat of the organization around career track and career track planning, um, that's when you typically see a fairly large retention issue because everyone wants to want something else in the future. Again, that's that clearing opportunity. They're not just coming to work for you for the job they have today. They're coming to work for you with the expectation of the job of tomorrow. And your job as a leader is trying to create the path to, to, to get to that job of tomorrow and have the experience to be able to be successful and move their career in that direction. Well, and then very subtly, they're helping you move your organization into the future as well. It's a side benefit, it seems. Great people grow great companies. It is so hard. As I said earlier, you know, even in, you know, good economy, bad economy, it's just hard to find talent that you need to grow your business. And that's why I think this industry is so special that, that I'm so fortunate to work in over almost 20 years is we're changing lives. We're changing the economy through people and through business. And I don't know, I, I, I can't see another industry that has that level of impact um, that this industry has. I agree. Well, hey, on that note, how can our audience reach out to you to get some help? Because you've outlined some really good thoughts and ideas, but I think some of them are going to need some help. So what's the best way to reach out to you and uh, how can you help us? Absolutely. Well, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, um, just Thad Price. Uh, you can connect with me. Happy to uh, provide any guidance you're looking for and happy to share more of my story. But we, I appreciate the chance to share some thoughts and my ideas here with you all uh, in this uh, podcast. So thank you all very much. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years, and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>